It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast here in Egan, Minnesota with Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, my new co-worker at NBC Sports, (laughs) and, uh, you know, he's been hired to do uh, Football Night in America this year. He made his debut the other day in Canton, Ohio at the Hall of Fame game. We're going to talk a little bit about why in the world Jason Garrett would come to the dark side. He's such a nice guy, and now he is coming to the dark side, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But you're probably saying, what is Jason Garrett doing sitting in Egan, Minnesota with Peter King at Vikings training camp. And I'll tell you, he's here because he joined the training camp trip in uh, Lake Forest, Illinois on Friday, as, and we record this on Saturday. We're going to go through all of my travels after I finish <laughs> with Jason. But I just am curious to know, A, why did you want to come on this trip? And B... How much have I been able to educate you about the National Football League in our short time together? Well, you're a legendary figure. That's why I want to I come really on this trip. I really am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've known Peter for a long, long time, and uh, you gave me the invite. Uh, hey, look at your calendar. See if you can climb on and, 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 and be a part of the Peter King training camp tour for a little bit. So I was in Canton on Thursday night, and uh, as I saw you're going to be in Chicago on Friday – Minnesota on Saturday and it was a nice little window for me I said I can get up early and get myself to Chicago for ball practice on Friday and sure enough that's what I did we had a rain delay at at the Hall of Fame game so that game ended late didn't get a lot of sleep but got on an early flight got to Chicago with no issues we saw the Bears yesterday and the sneaky part of the deal was I guess I never looked at my Google Maps, <laughs> this idea that we're going to go from Chicago to Minnesota. I thought it was going to kind of be a no-brainer, maybe two and a half, three hours. And uh, we had a great day with the Bears. My uh, old defensive coach, Matt Eberflus, doing a heck of a job there, getting started with the with the Bears as their head coach, and really enjoyed that. We get in the car, and there's the family truckster. There's Peter King. <laughs> I was running, and he, and he didn't even look back at me, right? He didn't look back at me. He was like, get in the car, we're late, so we got to go. I said, okay, and uh, we're going to head up to Minnesota. And in my mind, I thought it was two and a half, three, three and a half at the most. And how long is it going to take us, Peter? Six hours and ten minutes. <laughs> I didn't know what I was in store for, but you had it all mapped out like you yep. typically do. We're going to get custard and stop at Dairy Queen and ultimately have some pizza, and it worked out beautifully 
There were some 20 questions I, along the way. I believe <laughs> you said to me when it was over, this was really one of the great days. Absolutely. That was what you said. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and there was a little <laughs> bit of reluctance when we were getting started. When I heard six hours and 10 minutes, I was kind of taken back. But once I got my nap, and once we started into the 20 questions and started having some nice discussions. Yeah, that was the thing. Time flew. It, you, it flew. You know, <laughs> the 20 questions part of it I thought was really interesting because you basically said, hey, you guys want to play some games? <laughs> We're traveling with our uh, videographers slash producers, uh, Kelsey Bartels and Morgan Miller. and so, They're the highlights, by the way. I just want you to know that. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> well and they like playing games. And so car games. And so we played car games, and that was really a lot of fun. I haven't played 20 questions in 100 years, and it was really kind of fun. You had the first one. I guess George Hallis. I had the second one, and what was great about it was my second one was the Kit Kat bar. And so, you know, because it can be people, places, or things. And so I must say... <laughs> The, the star of the day was Kelsey Bartels because she guessed a Kit Kat bar on question 20, on question 20. the last one. So she can perform in the clutch. Yeah, these so, two guys, Morgan and Kelsey, they did a great um, – it was kind yeah. of a revolutionary start to 20 questions for me. The Why? person, place, or thing idea. The first question that they said was, is it alive? Yeah. Okay, and then yes or no. If it's no, was it ever alive? That kind of nice. gets you. That kind of gets you. Yeah. To, that kind of gets you to thing. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't solve place versus thing, but yeah. it gets you off the people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I thought was a nice thing. And then, like you said, the deductive reasoning to get to the Kit Kat bar. The thing that struck me about the Kit Kat bar. We leave the Bears facility. George Hallis is on my mind. You go next. The Kit Kat bar was on your mind. I thought that was curious. I just wanted to Well, I mean, if you look at my physique, you know that I'm kind of a Kit Kat fan. So anyway, listen, I'm going to just sort of tell you what all we're going to do in this podcast. All right. So after uh, Jason and I break a few things down, tell a story or two, we are going to get into our travels for the week. And I'm going to tell you just a little piece or two about our trip to Cincinnati, to Nashville to see the Titans, uh, to Tampa to see the Rays, I mean the Bucks, And then uh, we went to uh, Green Bay after that. And we saw the Green Bay Packers, then Chicago, and then Minnesota. So we'll have a few thoughts on everything. And the best thing that we're going to do is we're going to give you little snippets along the way. But our other guest in the show is going to be Tennessee quarterback Ryan Tannehill with what I think is a pretty important thing. He's going to talk a lot about uh, mental health and what he did this offseason after being in a very dark place after losing uh, the uh, playoff game to Cincinnati last year. So that is sort of the lineup for the podcast. So uh, for the first X number of minutes. Jason and I are going to talk about what we've seen and uh, and and what all is out here and why he did come to the dark side. But let's start a bit with the Bears because I hadn't been to Bears camp in a long time. They got a beautiful facility. They have everything you would want. All they need is a quarterback. I spent a little time with Justin Fields. I had never met the man before. Um, and I think he has 
the shoulders to take the pressure that is going to come to him in Chicago. Give me your impressions of the Bears and whether that offense is going to be even better than competent this year. Well, I'm excited to watch the Bears, uh, obviously because of Matt Eberflus being their head coach. Uh, but the other reason is Justin Fields. Uh, he, he's someone who a lot of people in the football world knew from early on. He was a big-time uh, high school recruit, bounced around a little bit in college, but was an outstanding college player. Bears trade up to get him, and, and they see him as their answer, as their future at quarterback. Uh, didn't play a lot last year, played some, showed some flashes. And I think it'll be fun to see him in this new regime. Uh, Luke Getze the offensive coordinator. And, and clearly, Justin Fields is their guy. I mean, he, he's taken all the first-team reps. He's the guy that they're focusing their offensive scheme around to try to build it in an environment where he can be comfortable. And it was really fun. I got a chance to visit with him. Uh, does not seem too big for him. Uh, seems like he's been in the spotlight for a long time in his life. So he's embracing this opportunity. He's working on refining things. He's uh, working hard on his footwork and his drop and his pocket presence and all those things. But he also agreed that he just has to kind of go play. You can work on those things like you're on the, like you're on the driving range, but at some point when you go out on the course, you got to go play golf. Yeah. And it's the same thing for a quarterback. So keep refining your skills. When it's time to get into 11-on-11 situations and ultimately game situations, go play. Trust your instincts. That's why you're there. So he's kind of working on that balance, which most young quarterbacks are doing. Be interesting to see if they have enough weapons around him uh, at receiver. Uh, tight ends seem to be getting better. They like their running backs. And maybe most importantly, what they have up front. So uh, I think there are some personnel questions around him. There's no doubt he's their guy. He's in a developmental stage. And it's going to be fun to see these guys grow together. I like the fact that the Bears traded Khalil Mack and got some draft capital out of it because it's clear that in the next year or two that Khalil Mack has of, you would assume, his prime or near his prime, not to say they'd be wasted in Chicago, but the Bears aren't going to the Super Bowl this year. I'd be surprised if they were making the playoffs next year. But they need to build this for the long haul. And I'll tell you one other thing that hit me watching the Bears. I sat with Matt Eberflus in his office for 20, 25 minutes before, and at the end of it, I look up behind his desk, and he's got a shrine to the old Bears. He's got nine photos in frames of all of the Bears who have had their numbers retired. And I just thought it was really interesting. I said, why'd you do that? And, and he said, because I want everybody on this team to know about the tradition, and it's part of what makes us great. But the most interesting thing was they've got two little plexiglass shelves near the top of it, and then the space on the bottom for two other things, objects. And I said, what's that? And he goes, these are for the George Hallis trophies. When you win the NFC, we'll put them right there. And then these are for the Super Bowl trophies. We'll put those down there. And I just said, now that is a cool thing. Because the players know it isn't just about the past, but it's about the future. So I like the way he's handling the tradition of the Bears. You think he's ready for this gig? Absolutely he is. And let's talk about that history. Uh, Matt was with us for a number of years in Dallas with Rod Marinelli, 
Yeah. Uh, one of the great football people that I've ever met. Uh, he's been a, an incredible force, incredible influence in the NFL for a long time as a, as a coordinator, uh, as a defensive line coach, as a head coach. He's just an amazing guy. And they worked together for a long time. And a little glimpse of the Saturday night meetings. I used to sit in the defensive meetings. Rod would run them, and then each of the coaches would kind of get up and, and, and talk. And Matt always talked about tackling. And invariably, he would have a picture from you know, 1915, 1920, 1932 of an old-time football player tackling. And typically, it related to the team we're playing or something. There was a theme behind it. Uh, but he would talk about the importance of tackling, being a great tackling team a great tackling defense. And he would go through the, the, the technique of tackling, hamstring tackles. And he'd go back and say, this is a hamstring tackle. This is 1912. This is Jim Thorpe right here. And so he has a great feel and, and, and a great passion for the history of the game. And I think he and Rod Marinelli really bonded that way. So I think that's important because the stuff that won way back when is the stuff that wins today. Yeah. And the game looks different, okay, but the basics, the fundamentals – are so critical to this game. And Matt recognizes that. There's no question he's also forward-thinking. He's a smart guy. He's an innovative guy. They're going to do different things there. Uh, but he's been around football for a long time. He's been in a coordinator role for a long time, both in college and in pro football. And I think he's embracing the opportunity. And I think he's understanding the importance of, I've been a coordinator, now I'm the head coach. I'm the head coach of the whole football team. I'm the head coach of the whole organization. And, and, and his words to be able to lead upwards to ownership and to the general manager, lead your staff, lead your football team, lead the community. I think that's such an important thing, and I think Matt recognizes that. And I think he's in the early stages of trying to get everyone aligned in that organization, which is ultimately what the head coach's job is. I want to talk to you about one other person who was a longtime member of your coaching staff in Dallas, and that's Rich Bisaccia. Because... I left Green Bay. You weren't with us. You're going to be going there. But I left Green Bay, and I had this thought in my mind that the subtraction of Devontae Adams is not going to be as significant to this season for the Packers as is the addition of Rich Bisaccia. Now, people will think that's absolutely crazy. Who cares? He's a special teams coach. But if you remember what happened in the playoffs last year, uh, the Packers were ahead of the, of the Niners. They were crushing them on defense. The Niners weren't getting anything going. And then late in the fourth quarter, maybe six minutes to go, uh, there's a blocked punt, uh, a blocked Packer punt. The 49ers uh, recover it for a touchdown, and that puts them ahead, and then they kick a field goal late, and they win the game. And really, it's a game that, not that the 49ers played poorly. Their defense was very good. Their special teams are very good. But, man, they didn't really do much offensively to win that game. And yet the Packers, with the great all-world offense, didn't do anything to win the game. But the reason why I think Bisaccia is so significant to this team is that I just always figure that Aaron Rodgers will figure it out on offense. He'll make Romeo Dubes, uh, Dubs, rather, uh, Dobbs. I, I pronounce his name about 16 different ways. But he'll, he'll figure out a way to get those guys integrated in the offense. My big thing is that they got to find a way to fix the special teams. You're a believer in him. 
tell people who love the Packers why Bisaccia was a good hire. Well, he's a great football coach, and he's a great person, and he's going to impact that organization in so many different ways. I first met Rich years ago. My last year playing football in the NFL was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Bisaccia was the special teams coach back then. It was 2004. And he's one of those guys that you walk into the building and you feel his presence. You go out to the, to, to the practice field and he just has an energy. And he's talking smack with everybody 40 yards away. He's talking to me. I'm like, who's talking to me? It's Bisaccia. You know, he just has a way of connecting with, with people and with players and with coaches. And uh, so when we had the opportunity to hire him in Dallas, we did it. He was our assistant head coach and, and special teams coach for five years and, and had such a positive impact on our team. Never been in special teams meeting meetings like that. I would sit in, and he just had this amazing way of engaging. How does he run his meetings? What does he do? First thing he does, everyone comes in, all right, boys, shake it out. So everybody would stand up and, hey, hey, you're standing there next to me. Hey, Peter King, how are you? Jason Garrett, you shake hands, you tap each other on the back. I mean, everyone kind of greets each other, gets everybody up out of their seat, and, uh, and just creates an energy. We're all in this together. Special teams is tricky. You know, there are a lot of offensive players and defensive players who want to focus on being a, a position player and what they can do on offense or on defense. And he gets everybody okay, to buy into the importance of special teams. And, and you as a head coach want to facilitate that, but then he takes it and runs with it and creates such camaraderie among those guys. It starts in the off-season program, goes through training camp and throughout the year to the point where guys just take a tremendous amount of pride in being part of these units. And uh, it, it's one-third of the game, as they say, offense, defense, special teams, and so many of the big plays that win and lose games in the NFL are in the special teams units. So for him to be in charge of that unit, uh, to be able to do what he's done throughout his career to positively impact teams, it's going to be huge for Green Bay. And, and, and don't forget this. The Las Vegas Raiders won 10 games last year. They won four games down the stretch. They lose a close one to Cincinnati in the playoffs. They had a lot of turmoil going on there. And, and, to and put Rich, it mildly. Yeah, and Rich did an amazing job navigating that as the interim head coach in Las Vegas to put that, that program, gave them a chance. And so for him to go up to Green Bay after all his experience as a, as a special teams coach and then after that head coaching experience last year, uh, he'll be a great asset to that organization. It's going to show up. It's going to help them win ball games. Let's uh, transition here to the Vikings. What interested me about the Vikings is that, you know, with Kevin O'Connell coming over from the Rams, I always sensed last year with the Rams that – they were not particularly bothered by the fact that Matthew Stafford for much of the year led the NFL in interceptions. And it, frankly, it was sort of a cost of doing business. We're going to take some shots downfield. I think what kind of annoys people, football people, a little bit about Kirk Cousins, he's amazingly efficient, but he's not one of these guys who often is a deep strike guy, a chance taker, risk taker, way downfield. And so when I heard that Kevin O'Connell was getting this job, I said, I think he'll be really good for Cousins because I think he's going to tell him, in essence, there are times when even if you do throw a pick, it's a good risk to take. Give me your thoughts. Well, let's start with that. The ball is critical in the NFL. You know, we were talking about what wins way back when and football still wins today. Taking care of the football and going to get the football, that's number one. And go back and look at the statistics 
from, from the beginning of time. Pudge Heffelfinger, 1892. You win the turnover battle, you're giving yourself a great chance to he win the game. He did not talk about the turnover battle. He did. Battle. There's no question he did. He did? Allegheny Athletic Association. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but taking care of the ball matters. You know, we were yeah. talking about Aaron Rodgers earlier. I mean, he has this amazing – he throws 40 touchdowns and four interceptions. I mean, yeah. you know, it used to be if you were if you were two for, two for one touchdowns, interceptions, hey, that was fantastic. Yeah. He's 10 to one. Tom yeah. Brady, I mean, it's ridiculous. So let, let's not – Let's not put aside the idea that taking care of the ball matters, but the best ones, the best ones are able to make plays and not make a lot of bad plays. And you're right. If you want to be an aggressive attacking offense and go get after them down the field, there's a cost to that. And Matthew Stafford made a ton of plays for the Rams last year, vertically down the field, and sometimes there's a price to pay. Uh, different quarterbacks, different schemes, you know, different environments – I don't think there's any question Kevin O'Connell coming here is going to say, hey, Kirk Cousins, we can be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to have zero turnovers. You know, that's your goal. But, you know, if you want to be a, a team that attacks and makes some plays, you know, you're going to throw some picks. You don't want a lot of them. They're difference-making plays in the game. But if you want to make some plays in this league, you know, there's going to be a downside as well. And, and you got to find what that balance is. The best ones do. My one other question for you about today's football. I said this to Adam Thielen here. I said, you know what I've kind of noticed on this trip? I haven't heard a lot of coaches yell at players. And I've noticed it not just on this trip, but in recent years. Like, you look at Kevin O'Connell. He did not raise his voice one time in two hours. He's a teacher. It's really like the field is his classroom. And I don't know, Jason, you've done this for a long time. Maybe this is not, maybe it's not a trend. Maybe it's just where I've been. But tell me if you can, whether you think coaches are changing at all and whether, whether a lot of coaches now are a little bit less acerbic, loud, and that. I, I I might be wrong, but that's just something I've noticed here. Well, I don't think there's any question that, that coaching has changed. I think players have changed. I think um, maybe evolved is the better word. Yeah. Um, it's different than it used to be. It used to be double sessions for six weeks and full pads and get after each other, and now it's just a different environment. And, yeah. And um, – that's just the way it is, and I and I do think the youth of America has changed, and kids coming up, what they respond to, what's important to them, how to connect with them, how to relate to them. The best coaches I've been around are able to, to find what helps make the player respond to be his best, and sometimes it's, hey, I can get after Peter King. He's one of those guys that I can be hard with, and then, oh, I can't, I can't say a whole lot to this guy. Or I got to talk to him, or I got to be private with him, and you know the best coaches kind of understand that, and um, and they push the right buttons, if you will. That goes back yeah. a long, long way. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that the idea that it used to be a harder environment, a tougher environment, um, I, I think that's a true statement, and it starts with how we practice, how we relate. It used to all be kind of, not all be, but in many cases, be hard nosed. And uh, there are plenty of examples of, of older coaches who were, were quiet, were teachers, didn't yell a whole lot, 
you know, you think from afar about a guy like Bill Walsh, yeah. certainly our, our colleague at NBC, Tony Dungy. I mean, th those are some amazing coaches who coached a while back who had that, that approach. And there's some hard-nosed guys today. You're going to go to some practices, and that offensive line coach is getting after that group. Yeah. And, and that just, they're, they're, that's just the way it is. I think the most important thing is being who you are as a coach. I think, I think people fail miserably when they copy. Hey, I was with this guy. This guy had success. I'm going to go be him. And, and that, that falls apart quickly. So being true to who you are, your personality, I think teaching whatever your personality is has to be line one. And I thought we saw some great evidence of that today. It was a really good practice. All the coaches were working hard with their guys, trying to bring the best out in You know, Ed Donatel, the uh, defensive coordinator, he's an NFL lifer. He said, where have you been? What have you seen? And I, and I made that observation. I said, you know, I have not seen a yeller of a coach in 10 camps. You know, I, it's, and he was so happy about that. He goes, I, I think we're at our best when we're teaching people. And, you know, and left unsaid is not yelling at them. All right. I got one other question for you, and then I'm go I want to end with a story that you told on Friday night at Pizzeria Lola in <laughs> Minneapolis that, you know, you're just, I'm sorry, you're going to have to repeat it because it was so good. Um, so do you think you're going to be a media guy now? Do you have any idea what the future holds for you? You're going to be on Football Night in America this year. Are you thinking that maybe this is the start of a career change for you? Or what are you thinking? It's been a great opportunity. And um, it's just something that I've really embraced this offseason. Uh, I was talking to our good friend Fred Gadelli uh, in the spring. And I was going to take a, take a breath from, from coaching this year. And he, he said, I have an idea for you. Why don't you go down and do some of those USFL games? down there in Birmingham. So I had the opportunity to work with Jack Collinsworth. I was the play by, I, he was the play-by-play -play guy, I was the analyst, and, and really had a good experience. Everybody at NBC, they've, they've been incredible, kind of helping me on this. And then I had the opportunity to be a part of the, the Football Night in America group. And um, it's just been, it's been a really fun experience for me so far. And I'm um, trying to embrace it, kind of stay in the moment. Uh, this is the first year in 32 years <coughs> that I haven't been a player or coach in an NFL camp. So wow. it's a little bit different for me. But, uh, again, it's been, it's been a whole lot of fun. And uh, there's been a good rhythm to it. We've been to a couple different places. We've been around a, a few different teams. And it's fun to see how other people are doing it. And uh, so I'm having fun with it and enjoying it. One question about your gig now and maybe how it relates to your, your former gig, and that is – I wonder how you take or whether you even care or know that people beat the living crap out of you on social media and did when you were a coach and will now. I, I will make that prediction. Okay, so do you pay any attention to it? Do you care? You know, something we used to talk to our players about a lot was the idea that ever since we were this high, we wanted to play and coach in the National Football League. And then we get an opportunity to do it, and you got to decide what you want to focus on. Our world is such that, you know, everything's kind of out there. Everybody's got an opinion about everything. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's always bringing out people's best. But if you're in these positions that are highly scrutinized, 
you have a choice. You can think about what everyone else is talking about, or you can focus on being your best at what you're doing, the thing you've been dreaming about your whole life. And I love Tom Brady's line, never give your power away, right? Your power to be happy and to be your best is taken away if all of a sudden you're listening to kind yeah. of what these critics are saying. And we used to say this as, as, as players and certainly as a coach, you know, don't listen to the good, don't listen to the bad. I'm mean, going kind to of evaluate yourself in-house that's what we try to do with our team and, um, and trust in that in-house evaluation to try to be better. But if you spend your, your life with these antennas up and you're constantly thinking about what everyone's saying about you, you're not going to be a real happy guy. So I've, tr I've tried to do that really, really forever, and I'll continue to try to do that. I've been real fortunate. Played in the NFL for 14 years, coached for a long time, been a head coach. Now I'm doing this. So... Um, so life is good for Jason yeah, Garrett. I mean, Come on. The, yeah. the, 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 the word that I use is grateful. I mean, yeah. a tr tremendous amount of gratitude for all the different opportunities I've had and the opportunity to be hanging out with you, man. All right. So I'm going to ask you the one thing I asked you last night. We are at dinner um, with our crew, and I said, what's, the, what's your favorite moment of your NFL career? Which I knew the answer. Sometimes you know the answer to questions before you ask it. And I, I felt pretty, pretty confident that you were going to say Thanksgiving 1994 when the first two quarterbacks on the Cowboys, Troy Aikman and, and Rodney Pete, are hurt and I'm playing and we're only facing Reggie White and Brett Favre. But then you told the story of the game. And it was really a barrel of fun. So I hate to make you repeat it, but can you repeat it for the millions and millions of people watching and <laughs> listening at home? I hate to be the guy who corrects you, but I think your question was, what was your favorite game? Yes, I did. You're right. You played yep. in. And I, said, I didn't play in that many. The obvious one is the Thanksgiving game in 1994. And, and I think you described it well. I mean, Troy Aikman, our quarterback, was hurt. And then Rodney Pete was playing the week before. We were playing Washington, and he got hurt. And uh, so I went into the end of the, the Washington game, and then we're going to play four days later. And uh, it looked like Rodney was going to be out. Troy was definitely going to be out. And before you know it, you know, you're going to be the starting quarterback this week against Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. Nervous? Well, certainly nervous. Certainly excited. I mean, this is what you're waiting for. You're waiting for this opportunity. But – uh, we were really good. They were really good. It's going to be a big stage. And I think when I, when I reflect back on it, it was, it was good that it was a Thanksgiving game. That I didn't have a that, quick one. Yeah, that I didn't have that much time to think about it. Yeah. Before you know it, you're back in the building. You're putting the game plan together. You're out on the practice field. It's kind of a whirlwind. And, uh, and there are a lot of good stories for me from that week. Uh, you know, lead, leading up to the game, I kind of put myself, you know, just kind of locked in. And uh, it was a little bit of a kind of a vacuum type environment. I wasn't taking a lot of calls. I was trying to just get ready, study the plan, get get ready to go and, and play as well as I can play. <laughs> and I'm about to leave and go to the hotel on Wednesday. And my wife, Brill, we were we were uh, we were newly married and she uh, <laughs> and we're having a little dinner before I go to the hotel. And she says, you know, I don't know that I could live with myself if I didn't if I didn't say this. I said, I said what? <laughs> She's like, you know, if if it just gets if it gets tough out there, don't be afraid just to throw it up high to Alvin. You know, Alvin Harper. Yeah. Alvin Harper's yeah. this big, tall, six long five. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was fantastic going up and getting the ball. <laughs> She's and, coaching. Yeah, you. and and I kind of just shook my head. 
<laughs> and I said, uh, I said, even you, you're gonna, you're gonna kind of tell me what what I should be doing. I kind of <laughs> laughed about it. We we had, we had a smile about it, and I actually told John Madden that. And uh, I don't know how well you remember the game, but we ended up throwing the ball high to Alvin a few times, yeah. and John Madden had a field day with it. He just listened to his wife throwing <laughs> high to Alvin. <laughs> but, but that's got to be one of the all-time great highlights, especially for a guy who was never – there was no guarantee you'd ever play. But now you play in a Thanksgiving Day game with the turducken at stake and the great Madden up there, and you can listen to that – you know, for the rest of your life, yeah. you know, it's cool. Yeah. You know, you know it was, there were so many moments in that game that nobody really knows, you know, as a player, you have this very, th- th- this, but the best moment, th- you got to tell the Reggie white moment. Well, there are so many of them. Yeah. So many of them. The, 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 the first one for me was, I think it was on the second drive of the game. We run this play called five twenty five F post kind of a signature play goes all the way back to Don Coriel, Ernie Zampezi. It's just one of these plays became my favorite play when I was a, when I became a coach and we used to run it all the time and it's a progression read and I'm going to back out. I'm going to throw the post to the drag route. And Michael Irvin's our ex receiver. He's going to run a comeback and I work through the progression and boom, I throw it to Michael. He's isolated on Terrell Buckley and uh, he sits underneath the route. And so I cut it loose. Buckley turns around, hits him right between the two and the seven interception. Okay, there's 11 minutes to go in the first quarter. I threw a pick. I'm like, oh, my head kind of goes like this. And the greatness of Michael Irvin, he comes running over to me. I mean, right by the numbers. I mean, the, the interception hadn't happened eight seconds ago. And he's got me like this. He's like, don't worry about it. If he wants to sit underneath th- these routes, we're going to go after his ass down the field. And sure enough, that's what we did. <laughs> But, but I, I tell you that story for this reason. He's obviously had played a lot of football, was one of the best players in the league at the time. But he was a, a, such an aware teammate to say, hey, this guy might be fragile getting this start on this stage. Hey, I got to get with him right now and say, we're going to turn this negative into a positive. And, and, and sure, it, 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 as the game played out, that's eventually what happened. The Reggie White stuff was Reggie White, as we all know, was the minister of defense. Larry Allen, arguably one of the great offensive linemen ever to play is playing right tackle in the game because Eric Williams is hurt. And Larry was, you know, he was a rookie. And he's going against one of the best defensive players ever to play in Reggie White. And, and, and Reggie knocked him around a little bit and made my life miserable, tipping the ball up in the air, hitting me after throws and sacking me. And uh, every time he did that, he'd be on top of me and say, oh, you're doing, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> I said, I said, Reggie, I'd be doing a hell of a lot better if you weren't out here, you know. <laughs> and so some of those great, great moments. And the game didn't start real well for us. We were down 17-3 right before the half. We had a two-minute drive, and I completed an in-cut to Michael, get us into field goal range, make it 17-6. Kind of one of the few positive things that happened. And at halftime, Barry Switzer's the coach. He has no alternative. I mean, there's no other quarterbacks. It's like yeah. we got to stick with this guy. And uh, the second half was all about team. Kevin Williams returns the kickoff, gets this great field position. We score. I throw a swing pass to Emmett Smith. He goes 66 yards down to the one-yard line. Jay Novacek made some plays. We threw a, a couple deep balls to Alvin Harper. And then uh, at the end of it, you know, we're ahead. We're trying to kind of seal the game. And I throw a deep post to, to Michael Irvin. He makes a, a play for a touchdown. And you know, at the after that, I kind of meet him, and he gives me this hug, and it was just this this incredibly emotional moment for me that we kind of got through this thing together, and it was really all about the guys around me, these Pro Bowl 
fantastic players who are part of Super Bowl team said, we got to help this guy. And yeah. they rallied and they did and ended up being a good day for us. It's, it's got to be just one of the coolest things to know that on that great Dallas Cowboys team, you had a great victory over maybe the best team in football in a game you had to have. And I just have always thought, I remember back to that game, and I just say that if, if you never do anything else in football, that's got to be the moment that you say, I'm really happy I was in the NFL, you know? Yeah, no question. And, and again, it's, it's gratitude. We talked about that word. I mean, so grateful to be a part of those teams and gr so grateful for that opportunity and grateful that it worked out like it did. All right. So... We are going to let Jason Garrett go. Jason is going to be on his way to Green Bay from here to see his good friend Rich Bisaccia. He'll watch the Packers. And then we will move on from here to St. Joseph, Missouri, home of the summer home of uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I am going to record the rest of the podcast, okay, from Kansas City or from St. Joseph, excuse me. Uh, but before we take our break, I want to get you into my conversation with Ryan Tannehill, uh, the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. Talk about a couple of serious topics, but clearly um, what he had to say, I think, was really good about taking care of your mental side and not just your physical side. So we'll listen to that, and then I'll come back on the other side with some other thoughts from training camp and some thoughts about the 2022 Kansas City Chiefs. Here's Ryan Tannehill. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Peter King with NBC Sports here at Titans Training Camp in Nashville with Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback of the Titans. So, Ryan, I think one of the interesting things coming out and seeing you at practice is seeing, like, a lot of the newness that you have on offense. Traylon Burks, the first-round pick, no more A.J. Brown. What has this camp been like getting used to some new guys? Yeah, it's been a, uh, a transition for us, right, from going back to the spring. We had all these guys in here kind of detailing our routes and, and the way we want to do things. And then now, as we get out here and put pads on, we're actually playing football, we're able to transition 
from a meeting room, from you know talking in individual drills and, and see guys make the plays in, in team settings. So it's been a lot of fun for me, you know, watching our guys that have been here accelerate their play and play a lot faster than are making plays for me. And then new guys like you mentioned, Traylon, Chig, uh, Austin Hooper, guys who who are just joining us this year of, of coming on board and, and making plays for us. Mike Vrabel, your coach, told me before practice that you were going to do a couple of periods of this thing called Call It, which I don't see around the league. Everything is so closely scripted. Right. And Call It is basically you call plays, you know, on offense, and you have to execute them. It's almost like a pop quiz, I guess, for a lot of the guys. And defense has to respond to it. Right. Tell me what it's like and how do the players like that? Yeah, it's the most similar to a game situation, right? Normally, like you mentioned, things are scripted. You know, you know exactly the, the racks that you're going to have throughout, throughout practice. You get these call-up periods. You have somewhat of a game sheet, uh, a call sheet, and, and you can call anything on there. So it puts you most like in a, in a game situation. We're subbing from the sideline. We're uh, going from first, second to third down, playing the situation. So it tests everybody on the field. It tests uh, your knowledge of the playbook. It tests your knowledge of details on a specific play. And it's something you can't really uh, prepare the night before for. You have to come out and hit it in real time. So I want to ask you a little bit about history. The last time you were on a field playing a game, must be a bitter memory. Your loss to Cincinnati, you threw a late interception in that game that allowed Cincinnati to win. You guys were the top seed. You said some things in the weeks and months after that game about being in a dark place and being really kind of depressed over that, taking you a long time to get over it. Take me through that process and what it was like for you. Yeah, it was not a fun process. You know, you, you put so much into it and then to have things in the way they did, uh, it was heartbreaking, and um, yeah, put me in put me in a dark spot. And hadn't for really, how long? Hadn't really been in that spot before. Um, I don't know. It was weeks and weeks of, of not really sleeping, and then you know, kind of slowly got better from there, working my way through it. You know, it wasn't something that that I just passively um, got through. I was <laughs> intentionally, you know, seeking out help, talking to somebody, and and trying to work through. Um, the mental side of it. The mental side is, is such a big thing in, uh, for everybody in life, but especially in sports. You know, we, we, we talk about it as an organization. We have guys that uh, help us with our bodies, help us train, and uh, we also have help, people that help us with our minds. So um, being able to take advantage of that and kind of destigmatize the mental side of things where, hey, we're all going to go through something at, at different points in our life, and, and it's okay, right? Um, now you have the opportunity to, to work through it and, and be intentional about growing through the process and, uh, and moving forward. What would you say is the most valuable lesson you learned from this mental health professional about dealing with crushing things like that? Um, the whole thing was a learning process. You know, it's tough to nail it to one thing, but um, you know, you're not, you're not pushing away the feelings. You're, you're acknowledging the feelings. You're, you're really feeling them and, and digging through why you're feeling them and then um, kind of moving moving past it at that point, right? You're not stuffing it away and uh, hoping just to, to never feel it again, right? You're acknowledging it, knowing it's there, and um, then moving moving through it. Yeah. So how is it now when you think back on that day? Does it still really bum you out, or you say, hey, life goes on? Yeah, it's a, it's a scar. That's kind of how I've described it, is that it's a scar, right? It's, it's always there. You remember it. Yeah. But it's not a wound anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt the same. You acknowledge, like, yeah, that sucked, but... That was last year. This is a new year. Uh, we have everything out in front of us, and uh, what happened last year, whether it was good or bad, it, it doesn't matter at this point. You know, we have to take each day as its own and, and take advantage of it. 
I remember meeting you and your wife around the draft a few years ago, and you guys well, a few years a few ago. years ago, and you guys were so close, so tight, which is obviously continued. But is that a process that you sort of need your wife involved in it too? No doubt. You know, she's uh, she's my rock. She's there for me no matter what. Um, you know, good day, bad day, anything in between. Um, transitions. You know, that's she's my my steady person in my life and. And we can get through anything together. So thankful for her and everything that she means to me. One of the things that I think about, like, the media today, it is so omnipresent. It is so 24-7 that, honestly, there's so many things. You can never be, you can almost never truly move past it. But let's talk about this season. Do you feel like you're coming into this season with a blank slate? No doubt. I'm excited uh, about this season. I'm excited the way we had a lot of progress throughout our offseason in the spring, and then we've kind of carried that momentum into this fall. And we have guys that, uh, like I mentioned, who have been here that are that are getting a lot better and, and making plays when we consistently, uh, our new guys are, are making plays. So as a quarterback, as a leader of the offense, it gives you a lot of excitement that if we can just stay the course, keep progressing, keep detailing things and, and uh, playing fast, that we're going to be in a good position. Every year is a big year for a quarterback, but I feel like particularly this year because of how good an overall team you have. Do you sort of feel like, listen, you know, we let one slip last year. We really need to take advantage of our opportunity this year. You know, you have to try to take advantage of every opportunity you get. So, uh, like I said, I'm excited about our guys that we have and this squad that we have. It's competitive out here each and every day in practice. I'm, I'm proud of the way our guys are working and making each other better through that competition. You know, our defense is pretty stacked on, on the front, front They're seven. They are stacked. Stacked, right? So They're it's, stacked, uh, it's yeah. fun to see those guys. Um, make plays it's it's not so fun when you're the guy standing behind them and then they're getting in your lap but uh, our offensive line is getting better they came out here today they battled gave me time to uh, to make some throws so uh, proud of those guys I, I just thought of this watching Robert Woods out there last year after the Super Bowl Cooper Cup said this is for Robert Woods this is you know they loved that guy right so what have you seen in him early on here in Nashville yeah, he's such a good guy. Uh, first of all, just take the football out of it, man. He's, he's such a good guy. You love being around him. Uh, then bring him into the locker room. He's a veteran um, receiver. He's leading that room. He has so much experience and, and knowledge of the game. So, you know, some things, you know, we talk about it one time, and boom, he already knows exactly what I'm going to tell him on something. And, and just that initial chemistry is is already there, and we're continuing to work and build build on that. So uh, a guy that is so smooth route running, he, he has an understanding of what we're trying to accomplish, and he's definitely going to help us. Ryan, have a good year. Thank you, Peter. It was great yeah. seeing you. Thank you. In Nashville, this is Peter King. My thanks to Ryan Tannehill uh, for, frankly, discussing a pretty unpleasant period in his life, being very honest and, you know, making people understand that you know, losses, very painful losses, sometimes have mental consequences. So I really appreciate his candor. Um, so I've relocated now. I'm in St. Joseph, Missouri at the summer home of the Kansas City Chiefs. It is a Monday, and they've just finished practice. Kids are yelling for autographs. They want Creed Humphrey to come over and sign. And so I'm going to give you, as we go along in the podcast, I'm going to give you some stuff from the four teams that I've seen that we really haven't discussed, uh, that I didn't discuss in my time with Jason Garrett. So... Let's start with those Tennessee Titans. And I'll I'll tell you the thing that I really felt about that team. I mean, think about last year with Tennessee. 
91 players, an NFL record for players in one regular season. They were so banged up, so hurt. They obviously missed for half a season last year, Derrick Henry. And I get the sense that Mike Vrabel loves using that with his team as an example of what you do when adversity hits. It's a very, very team-focused, team-oriented thing. And I also get the impression that coming into this year, you know, even without A.J. Brown, that they are going to be relying uh, very heavily you know, on their rookie first-round pick, Traylon Burks, who had an inauspicious debut after the draft. He wasn't in shape when he first started working out. Uh, with the team, but he is now, and they think that he's going to be a prominent guy on opening day. So those are a few thoughts about the Titans. From there, um, I went to Tampa to see the Bucks, and it was a veteran day off, so there was no Brady, uh, there was no Julio Jones, no Mike Evans, and quite a few veterans didn't practice that day. But I, I, I took away from that, honestly, that So we all saw early on in training camp, Ryan Jensen, Tom Brady's guy, his center, who before he came out of retirement, he made sure to call Ryan Jensen on the weekend that he was going to announce that he was coming back. And he said, dude, you've got to resign. You've got to stay. So the Bucks stretched a little more, paid him $13 million a year, a little bit more than they wanted to. And he goes down probably for the year early in training camp with a knee injury. And everybody said, oh, my God, that is a horrible, horrible injury. And without any question, Tom Brady is going to miss Ryan Jensen, who I think he was getting as close to as any center he ever played with, you know, in his career. So now where are the Bucks? The Bucks have a third-round pick from 2021, Robert Hainsey out of Notre Dame, who basically last year took a crash course in learning the center position. He played right tackle at Notre Dame, and he took a crash course. And, and I have to tell you, he has a commanding presence on the field, He is not thinking about, oh, boy, how can I replace Ryan Jensen? I had an extended conversation with Hainsey. He's got very good presence. He is not afraid. And if he succeeds, and I think he's going to play well, I think this is not going to be a huge factor for the Bucs. I think you're probably not going to notice a lot of leakage through the middle. And if he succeeds... He's going to have uh, an assistant coach on the Bucks staff last year, former center A.Q. Shipley, to thank for it because he spent every day with him last year, A.Q. Shipley teaching him the mechanics of the center position. He went to work out with him this offseason, talked to Shipley, and he says, I guarantee you he's ready. The job is not too big for him. That'll be music to the Bucks' ears. So let's talk a little bit about the Green Bay Packers now. After Tampa, uh, we flew to Green Bay, our little traveling troop, flew to Green Bay. And what I found really interesting is the don't worry, be happy Aaron Rodgers. It's been well publicized. I wrote a lot about it in my column this week in Football Morning in America. I urge you to go and read my Rodgers section um, about how he really feels like he's changed. He's so much happier He says, I can love myself now. 
And and I asked him, you know, whether his sort of experiment, his dalliance uh, with psychedelic substances, which he took in Peru, uh, in South America, was that in response to trying to break down the walls and the estrangement with his family? It's very well known that um, he's basically had a split with his family and there's real problems in the relationships there. And he told me that, yeah, that is, that was part of the reason why I was hoping that it would work, that, that I would find some sort of, I mean, it sounds silly to say this, some sort of enlightenment to deal with that. He said, I, I didn't get there, but I'm hopeful in the future of getting there. There's one other thing. Let's talk about football in with Green Bay. Watching practice, probably the most interesting practice player that I saw, you know, in the first 11 camps that we have been to, uh, is Romeo Dobbs. Okay, so let's set the stage with Romeo Dobbs. He was the 132nd player picked in the draft late in the fourth round by the Green Bay Packers. And when they picked him, they did an incredible amount of homework. Romeo Dobbs had a bad scouting combine. He didn't perform well. Uh, he's he's an introverted guy. A lot of people didn't really take the time to get to know him. Brian Gudikins, the Green Bay general manager, told me that they worked very hard on Dobbs because they really like the player. He's a tall, angular uh, receiver um, who's got some good speed for a guy his size. And they just figured, okay, they worked very hard on him. And they believed that he was going to be able to come in and be a factor early for them. So remember, they traded up to take Christian Watson, the receiver from North Dakota State, in the second round. And then they took Dobbs in the fourth round. And so the the thinking was, okay, so Christian Watson is going to have his shot He's going to get his share, um, you know, of the, uh, you know, of the training camp reps, probably more than Romeo Dobbs. Well, you know, Christian Watson has been hurt for much of training camp. And I think one of the things that you see right now when you look at their situation at training camp is very, very simple. It sounds kind of strange, but Romeo Dobbs, fourth round pick, has been the absolute star of training camp. And when I watched that practice, I said, this guy is going to be a difference maker. You know, as Roger said one day, not to me, but to others, he makes a big play every day in camp. So I think you're going to see him step into the uh, position of Marquez Valdez-Scantling right away and also take some of the pressure off Alan Lazard that has been left with the gap uh, left by Valdez-Scantling and, obviously, Devontae Adams. I'll tell you one other thing, and I wrote this in my column this week. I get the distinct impression that the subtraction of Devontae Adams is not going to be as significant for this team's season as the addition of Rich Bisaccia. Now, you remember Rich Bisaccia, the interim coach with the Raiders last year. Everybody in... Vegas swears by Rich Bisaccia. And so I think a lot of people felt like, okay, you know, he's a good special teams coach. Maybe he's got a chance. 
you know, to go somewhere and get a new chance as being a head coach. He didn't get a head coaching job. So then what does he do? He becomes reportedly the highest paid special teams coach uh, in NFL history at a reported $2 million a year. I talked to Basachi, and one of the things he said to me was, look, 20 years ago, I broke into coaching in the NFL. I was coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as John Gruden's special teams coach. And I felt the same kind of pressure in 2002 that I feel right now. This is a team that's ready to win right now. And I come in, and I've got to make sure that I get the special teams playing at that level of, uh, you know, of competition that they're going to be really competitive right away so he has really put his stamp on that team early on he's very vociferous he's loud in camp so I think that to me was a pretty positive sign now let's talk about my time here in Kansas City I'm going to bring you my short conversation with Patrick Mahomes in a couple of minutes but I wanted to give you two thoughts watching Kansas City practice and talking to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes about this season. And again, like I said a minute ago about Devontae Adams, that that I'm not sure it's going to be a fatal flaw because I think that Aaron Rodgers has the ability to lift people around him. Patrick Mahomes has the ability to lift all people, not named Tyreek Hill, (laughs) around him too. And talking to Mahomes, talking to Reed, I get the distinct impression that they are really excited about this new group of receivers. And look, this is something that I've asked a few people here, and I get the, well, not positive about that, but it's an interesting theory. And that is Tyreek Hill is going to take uh, some care in feeding. He wants his touches. He wants the ball thrown to him a lot, you know, as would every great receiver. But I think now, if you line up Marquez Valdez-Scantling outside left, if you line up Mecole Hardman outside right, you line up Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot, you line up uh, Travis Kelsey maybe on the other side, you know, to the left of the formation. And then you have Sky Moore, who is going to play some in the backfield and is going to play some at all three receiver positions. Obviously you have Clyde Edwards Hilaire and another weapon that this team really likes uh, is, is, you know, and again, I'm not saying he's going to be, uh, you know, a fantastic uh, every down weapon because he's not necessarily going to be that. But Jarek McKinnon, uh, who has sort of been a bit player in several places in his NFL career, I think he's going to get some real valuable touches here in Kansas City. And just one other thing about this team right now that I think is interesting. There's a freshness. There's a newness. There's a feeling like, as Patrick Mahomes told me, I've got to be at my best every day because I've got to get these guys ready to go by opening day which is a month away. And so I honestly think that the missing Tyreek Hill is not going to be a fatal flaw for this team. I just don't see it. But let's get into my conversation with Patrick Mahomes. It was brief, five minutes long maybe. Uh, But every time I come to Chiefs camp, 
He's on my list. I want to hear what he's been doing. I want to hear how he's feeling. And you'll hear it. He's obviously Joe positive. So let's go to me and Patrick Mahomes. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Peter King with NBC Sports here in St. Joseph, Missouri, with Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Chiefs. And, and Patrick, I want to just go back in time a little bit and ask you, how much were you talking to Andy Reid, the coach, and Brett Veach, the GM, throughout the whole Tyreek Hill thing about whether they might deal him, and what were they talking to you about? Yeah, um, we had constant communication uh, with Coach Reid um, and, and with Brett Veach. Um, obviously, I mean, I wanted Tyreek to be here. Uh, I mean, he was, he's a great player. He's a great person. I mean, he's someone that I've kind of, gr- I've kind of grown up in this organization with. Um, but they, they showed me the plan. They showed me uh, kind of the, the reasons that this ha- had to be done at this time. Um, and, and I obviously talked to Tyreek as well and tried to do whatever I could to bring him back. But once it kinda, we kind of got past that bridge and we were, he was going to go somewhere else, um, they, came, they had a great game plan of getting these receivers that we had out here today and to kind of keep this thing moving forward. That's sort of the interesting thing when you watch practice. It's almost like there's a new feeling here. Mm. There's sort of a little bit of a new energy. You know, I was charting some of your formations and there's Juju Smith-Schuster. He's moving all over mm. the place. And 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 obviously McCole Hardman, you know, is going to be doing some things. But what is it like for you now to adjust to these new guys? Is there anything about it that you feel a freshness and energy to it? Yeah, for me, it makes me be locked in even more every single day. Um, we're, we're throwing a lot at these guys, especially these new guys, new guys like you said, Juju, Marquez, uh, Sky, Justin Watson, all these new guys we're throwing a lot at. And uh, it's, it's our job with me, Travis, um, McColl, of making sure these guys are always knowing what's going on, why they're running this route, and why they're at this part of the concept. Um, and so for me, it, it makes sure that I'm locked in every single day. I can't just focus on my job or who's the primary receiver on this guy. i got to focus on every single person on every single thing, and I think it makes me a better quarterback. Is there any part of this that is a little bit freeing to you rather than necessarily saying, man, Tyreek Hill is so good, i got to make sure I get him the ball X number of times, and now you can simply just look for the open receiver? 
I, I don't know if you, you'd call it freeing, um, but it, it helps me get through my reads, I think, a little bit faster. I mean, when you have a guy, a specialist, Tyreek, when you get any type of man coverage, you're just you're kind of saying, forget the read. I'm going to give this guy a chance to go out there and make a play. Um, but when you have an offense coordinator like Eric Bieniemy, a head coach like Coach Reed, um, that are calling the plays, if I just get through my reads and I go through the progression the way they call it, someone's going to be open, especially with the receivers that we have and the tight ends that we have. Um, and so for me, it's more of let's just get through the read, do it the right way. Uh, whenever they call the shot play, let's take the chance of the shot. But if not, if it's not there, get to the guys underneath and uh, let's find ways to move the football down the field. I find it interesting that even though Tyreek left and, you know, you're going to miss him a lot, it was very amicable. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very kind of cool. And I just get the feeling that you'll always have two jet chip wasp. You'll always yeah. have some of the great plays that you made. How do you look at his relationship with you going forward? And and even though he's gone, how do you feel about him now? Yeah, man, you wish him the best. Um, he got to get be closer to his home, closer to his family. Um, he's going to be in a, a great organization in Miami, and they're going to be a great football team. They have a lot of players over there. And so for me, it's just wishing him the best, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have a relationship uh, throughout my entire career. I saw him down at Formula One in Miami when I was down there and said, what's up? Um, that was cool. Um, but uh, it's uh, you want to go out there and win football games on the field every single day, but you still have these relationships that you've built with these guys that I'm sure you'll have forever. I wanted to ask you two things about you. So I don't know if you notice in the social sphere – that when all of these contracts get signed, a lot of people will say, man, Mahomes, he's, you know, he's a bargain. You know, mm-hmm. Mahomes should be making more. He should make a new, get a new contract. And you have sort of clapped back at that, mm-hmm. saying, I'm happy here. We're okay. How do you feel when you read and hear things that says Patrick should be ticked off about his contract? Yeah, I mean... If you're ticked off making all the money that I'm making, you're probably you're probably a little bit messed up. I mean, for me, I, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be taken care of for the rest of my life. Uh, being in this organization and being on the platform that the NFL has given me, that I, I've been able to make money off the field as well. Um, and so for me, if you watch some of the great quarterbacks, man, it's not always about getting the most money. It's about going out there and winning and having a legacy that you can kind of live with forever. Um, and so for me, that's what I want to have at the end of the day. Obviously, I want to make money and be able to buy everything I want and all that different type of stuff. But that's not the reason I started playing football. The reason I started playing football was to win Super Bowls, to enjoy these relationships that I'm building on this field with all, with all my friends that are my teammates. And I think at the end of the day, if I do that, I'll be a happy guy in the end. It's going to be a fascinating year to watch you guys with all these new targets mm-hmm. out there. Is it is it fun for you? Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, it, it, the thing is, you don't know where you're – where that go-to guy is going to be every single game. I think it's going to be a changing up. We're going to have a lot of different personnel, a lot of di- personnel, a lot of different receivers and tight ends and running backs on the field. And I think that's going to be hard for defenses to, to kind of game plan against. Uh, and so for me, I'm just going to go out there, uh, enjoy every bit of it, uh, and try to find a way to get back to that big game and win it. Because, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's everybody's goal. Patrick Mahomes, good luck this year. I appreciate it. It's a nice, nice handshake. Nice handshake you have there. It's a real nice one. Yeah. In St. Joseph, Missouri with Patrick Mahomes, I'm Peter King. I'm going to get one more of those, man. Just one more, <laughs> one more handshake from you. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. My thanks to Patrick Mahomes, and I don't know, I'm not sure, but I think he might have been violently shaking my hand to say to Josh Allen, see, he'll shake hands with me. But no, no offense there. Anyway. So that's it for this week's podcast. Before we get out, I'd really like to take the time to thank um, two young women from NBC 
who have been with me uh, every step of the way for the last couple of weeks, Kelsey Bartels and Morgan Miller, they're future stars in our business. And what has to happen for a trip like this to occur and to go well is that you need to be surrounded by unselfish people. And Kelsey and Morgan have been great to work with the whole time. And I know you never see this because they're behind the camera and not in front of it. But I did just want to say thank you to them for making my life so easy the last couple of weeks. That's one thing. And second thing, I just wanted to close by saying that, you know, this training camp trip to me, when I talk about my job, I always say it's my favorite time of the year. And it isn't just because we can maybe sneak in a Minnesota Twins game at Target Field or even a Hartford Yard Goats game in Hartford on the way. It isn't just because of that. It's because sometimes you're just in a place and you see something that if you weren't out here, you'd never see. Read the top of my column this week in Football Morning in America. It's about Jamar Chase. And I just stumbled on Jamar Chase just literally just stumbled on Jamar Chase at the 20, 25 minutes after practice. He's the last player on the field. Just read about what I saw him do, and then you'll understand. I told the story to Andy Reid here uh, in uh, Chiefs camp, and he goes, there's a reason why some players are great. And so read that, and, and it's, it's funny. You know what I thought of when I was writing that? I hope some high school coaches in all sports – show that column, those 1,200 words, to some of their players who really have hopes of being great and doing great things Uh, because it taught me a lot about the price you have to pay if you truly want to be great. Jamar Chase knows what that price is. So thanks for uh, joining me this week on the podcast. We'll be back next week. I'm trying to think where I will record the podcast next week. It will be somewhere in the western part of the United States. I don't know. But anyway, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot for listening and hopefully watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel, The Peter King Podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. 
Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.